A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, everyone. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in Sydney in the 80s. And I'm Paul Verhoeven. I'm John's son. I'm an author and I wrote two books about dad's time as a cop. This season, The Shadow Files, has us visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious crimes and looking at what happened there. This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Tune in every week wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. I'm Paul Verhoeven, that's John Verhoeven, and Dad and I haven't actually done a brand new episode of The Shadow Files in a couple of months, and we are very, very excited to be back, and today we are looking at a Netflix documentary which has been buzzing online uh, recently. It's called The Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker. Dad, had you ever heard of this case before we watched this? Paul, Mm. first hi. Hi. To the new season. Yeah, hello. Even though it's... No, you're not the new season. No, it's technically well. Technically, it's, it's the same old season, but it's just a new. It's bit exciting. Of it's great, and yeah. it's twenty twenty three. It is. God help Which us. Is absolutely, you know, <laughs> we're all heading towards God knows. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> a dystopian future. As, as we oh. hurtle towards the abyss, how's everyone oh. doing? Yeah, I know. Well, okay. apart from the abyss, yeah. when you mentioned this to me, mm. I'd never heard of this particular story, okay. and it happened. Weirdly, in fact, wow, 10 years ago, virtually to the day. Pretty much. February 2nd, 2013 was when this uh, when this video hit. And it's, I I don't yeah. remember it happening at the time, by the way. Do you? No, do you rem- no, no. no, no recollection. I, I mean, I'd remember, definitely, mm. the case. I feel that social media, I mean, Paul, what was the social media scene 10 years ago? It was pretty spare. I mean, I remember being online at the time. Obviously, you know, the documentary covers all sorts of stuff and it really does cover how mainstream media, um, not mainstream media, like t- traditional terrestrial media like mm. television uh, mm. was trying to capitalize on internet phenomenon. And that was mm. that was something that was happening a lot at the time. I was very online in 2013. In fact, um, Steampunks had just come out and Twitter was very big at the time. YouTube was huge. And every once in a while, a meme would come out and it would go absolutely berserk. I don't remember this one, partly because it seems to have been very America-centric. But I guess my main... Look, the main sticking point for me here is, first of all, if you haven't watched the documentary, you don't have to watch it. I think some people, for some people, our talk about it might actually scratch the itch and mean they don't need to. And I, I don't think that'd be a bad thing. But I would like to start with the core of this case, which is, Dad, how do you feel 
when there is a crime in progress and a member of the public leaps to the defense of those people in trouble? Like, in terms of a police officer's perspective, how complicated is that? It's very, very complicated. But I'm going to use a word Mm. that I'm fairly excited about using. And the word is confluence. Okay? Okay. So a confluence means... Where two, it's generally used to talk about rivers, but it it has been sort of morphed into the ability to be used in the English diction as the meeting of two events. Yeah. And what we have here is an extraordinary sort of like some unrelated things happen. So let's just say initially that there is a a guy mm-hmm. and we will call him Kai which rhymes yep. with guy he's hitchhiking a car pulls over he accepts a lift from a particularly large gentleman described as being 270 pounds because mm-hmm. the Americans have not flipped to and they probably never will to the metric system but let's just say that that equates to around about 140 kilos. So for us here in Australia, at least, we are beginning to imagine a, a male person who's very large, very mm-hmm. tall, very strong. Now, Kai, who, to say that he's a stoner um, is, is an understatement. And, you know, he, he was always sort of smoking joints. He gets into the car and he either lights up or he has a joint and then he passes the joint to the driver, which is a very interesting point that we hopefully will touch on later in the story because later on when they interview a particular person, you may recall (laughs) the the band member who had an immaculate combi Mm. who was completely lucid, well-spoken, highly together and very, very believable. And he puts the the cat amongst the pigeons later on. So if we can sort of, without sort of bending time too much, say that Kai passes the joint, which may or may not have just had marijuana in it, and the driver, you know, they're, they're sort of smoking dope, as they're sort of traveling through this town, then Kai makes a, <clears throat> well, he makes an admission later on, not so much an admission, but he's saying, and I think this is quite important, that this particular driver makes certain admissions about having basically raped a 14-year-old in the Caribbean. That's supposedly part of the conversation. And then... All of a sudden, the driver says to Kai that he's actually, I am Jesus. And I can actually do anything. In fact, if I, for example, drive through that, there's a truck parked over there with, um, you know, this black worker, Mm. I can actually just pass through and nothing will happen. So now I don't know what Kai would have been thinking at this particular juncture, having just met this guy. And clearly, they're probably both stoned. It would be very weird to be a hitchhiker 
all of a sudden in this situation as you begin to or the driver begins to drive towards this this black sort of telecommunications worker mm-hmm. and he's heading to right towards him and he basically smashes into this black guy pins him between the front of the driver's vehicle that Kai is in and a, a like a council work truck the driver just sits there um guy pinned Clearly, you can see the guy at the front of the sort of front of the car. He he must have been in the most extraordinary agony because, as it was revealed later, the the worker had broken both legs, which would be, and if you're standing up based on the the crime scene photos that I've seen, it would have been both his femurs, which are the strongest bones in the body, okay. indescribable pain, couldn't move. Kai gets out of the car. So I guess if you're, if you're sort of stoned and then this... Because you want... If you get stoned, you want it to be a really sort of zen, cool, really cool experience all of a sudden, you know, because your senses are incredibly heightened. To have witnessed this through the windscreen would have been fucking scary. Mm-hmm. And then people begin to sort of run to help and people obviously call the police. Then... This woman, this sort of one of the people that's run to sort of assist the person pinned by this motor vehicle, all of a sudden the driver, this 140 kilo behemoth, gets out of the car. He then wraps his arms around this woman and starts to basically give her a bear hug and choke the life out of her. Mm -hmm. Kai, as he's known at this stage, he then... This is the part of the story that begins to become just slightly troubling for me. He's carrying a um, a hatchet or a, I guess we'd call that a sort of a, perhaps a tomahawk or a small axe in his Mm -hmm. backpack. Yep. And he then goes up to this huge guy who's basically choking this woman out with the bear hug so she can't breathe he then, with the hatchet, he then starts to deliver some pretty hardcore, because I've seen the photographs of the injuries, he starts to strike. Now, the first two or three strikes to this gentleman's head are with the blunt end, in other words, opposite to the blade. And he drives with great force, but then he flips the, the weapon to the sharp side, and then he begins to continually drive down right on top of his head, right through all the skin, into the bone of the skull. And also, at this juncture, the, the big guy must have let go because what I've seen also is that he had defensive wounds. Have you seen those, yes. Paul? I've seen the photos. I've seen the footage. It's, uh, yeah, pretty pretty serious. Serious, serious stuff. Injuries. Yeah. And then things start to go, well, maybe you'd like to take it from here, Paul. Well, look, Kai, as he's referring to himself, the claim there is that uh, is that you know he he was trying to save the woman's life. Uh, he's got the hatchet cool. out. He and then and then what happens is basically there is a local sports reporter who is sent by his TV network to come down and cover this uh, this traffic accident, and people are sort of you know talking about this hitchhiker who you know came by and saved the day and then as the guy is doing the little vox pop to the studio the hitchhiker kai walks into shot and then he gets over and does an interview with this reporter at which point i mean this is where the virality of the video comes in he starts kind of 
telling the story mm. um, of how he rescued this rescued these people. Um, the video was popped online uh, on precisely February second, twenty thirteen, by this reporter Jessup Reisbeck, I think is his name. Um, and it's within days it had millions of views. Basically, true, it, it true. Got, it, it went absolutely huge. Mm. I mean, for me, the problem here is that look, it's a pretty violent thing to do. I the second I saw the viral video, I went, wait, is this was this for real? Are we mm. actually celebrating a guy hitting another guy with an axe? I mean, I know. Don't get me wrong. I know the circumstances are mm. exceptional, but mm. it struck me as an extremely violent thing to happen. Mm. Um, Paul, Paul, listen, it, just an, an, a very important part to this sort of initial part of this story i feel is it's and this it's, these are the sort of things in these stories where you you need to really go through all the evidence from many many different perspectives very thoroughly and it's very important to recall um kai's first words to the reporter mm-hmm. and those words were that and i'm going to sort of um summarize what he said but he basically says to the he doesn't say it to the reporter he looks into the camera it's like he's looking at you the people mm-hmm. and he says basically we've all done bad things in our lives but we all need to be forgiven so he's setting the interview up which immediately makes me think and of course if i've had this confirmed over and over again with the research that i've done is that this gentleman kai is very very intelligent and i truly believe and i'm probably jumping the gun a little bit but i would like to say from the outset that i believe what we're dealing with or what was what the people were dealing with on that day was a a true psychopath yeah i think part of my problem here is that the documentary sort of goes a bit softball in this area because there are so many red flags on this guy. So I mean, the, sec- the second he walks up to the camera, it's, it's funny watching the reporter and, you know, the producer of the Kardashians and guys from the Jimmy Kimmel show, you know, talent scouts going, oh, man, he just had something about him. I'm like, yeah, he did. He was nuts. He was scary. The first thing he says is, yeah, before I say anything else, I want to say no matter what you've done, you deserve respect. And from that, they sort of intimate that this guy is just – some wild, fun, freewheeling hippie superhero. But the second he starts talking, I go, this guy has some real issues. And the fact that he is reenacting a, uh, a an axe-wielding attack in public, it seems to me, well, first of all, we find out later on that he has a bit of a history of being involved in violent stuff and his upbringing is extremely intense. But from there, the documentary sort of, it charts his... Um, very rapid and very strange climb towards uh, being famous. And and the peak of that is the Jimmy Kimmel show. But on the way to getting onto that show, uh, it seems like people keep ignoring these red flags, right? Mm. They, they keep ignoring the things he's doing, which are clear signifiers of the fact that he is deeply unstable and mm. quite dangerous. Mm. Well, uh, he, he, he somehow or other, he gets invited to this this sort of a gig yeah. in this town and he wants to I don't know how it I don't know how it came about but he, he ends up sort of going on stage uh, with a band but they interview the member of the band the lead singer who was you know if you want to sort of 
say that crazy's one and completely normal's ten. This guy was a, a clear ten. Now we're clearly talking to this band leader from this small band, um, and it seemed to me like, you, you know, the, the music thing's a kind of a side hustle, and he was at his day job being interviewed about this thing that had happened back in like 2013. And so it was interesting hearing his perspective, certainly. Uh, oh, by the way, this this uh, live gig story happens after Jimmy Kimmel, but everything going up to Jimmy Kimmel is just basically TV producers uh, ignoring the fact that this guy is... I, I, I found it... Um very, very troubling. The and public urination the, and the and the weird but, outbursts. Yes, but 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 not only that, Paul. Mm. One of the most troubling aspects of this entire story is how these shows, like Jimmy Kimmel, mm-hmm. and dare I say it, look, I'll be struck down. But things like the Kardashians, mm-hmm. it's not so much the show. It's the it's it's sort of this desperation, this clamouring for this this sort of they see this as a moment in time where clearly this YouTube video of the interview it it was getting millions. Yeah. Not 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 thousands, not tens or hundreds of thousands. It was getting millions and millions of hits with a lot of comments. A lot of people were coming in and saying he's he's sort of, you know, the archangel, he's the saviour, he's the he's taken, you know, um sort of public security back into the hands of the of the public which is kind of in a way it's just, it's a form of vigilantism which mm-hmm. is incredibly dangerous and the police this the police they interviewed during this documentary they saw through I mean that that policeman in uniform Paul who's sort of you know front and center in the interview he in the show he's ex homicide okay yeah, he's an ex homicide detective that he was very very dis- he found it very troubling. I have a weird question. I have a question about that, by the way. Mm. How do you go from homicide to uh, working in uniform? Easily. Would he have done something to be demoted? No, Is not a chance. No, he would have gone up in rank. So yeah. it happens a lot. It happens in the New South Wales Police Force where you might be a detective senior constable. You may even become a detective sergeant. And then you want to become, for example, a detective inspector in a police force there are so few detective inspectors so what you do is you think hang on a sec i don't want to stay okay yeah it's great being a detective it's great having that rank but i want to go through the ranks to earn more and more and more money so that when i retire i get a massive you know retirement fund so what you do is to to you need to go back into the pool of, of, of of you know that that has the resources and the ranks so basically what you do is you forego your detective plainclothes status. You become a, a uniformed sergeant working, for example, at a police station in general duties. But then you can, there are a lot more vacancies for, you know, uniformed inspectors than detective inspectors. Right. So you're, you're, you, you allow yourself a great, greater pool to be promoted. And you know what, maybe he just had enough of homicide. It's certainly not a backwards step. Okay, okay. But look, that aside, I'm very curious just quickly about the fact that I was trying to figure out why why this whole thing happened. And obviously the documentary spends a bit of time delving into Kai's past. First of all, mm-hmm. he's not, his actual name is not Kai and they finally get in touch with uh, his cousin, I yes. think. Yeah. And they get in touch with his mother mm. because 
they start showing, and the red flag thing is a real, real big problem for me because they start later on in the docos showing footage that the reporter says, yeah, we couldn't use all of it because he started saying some pretty dark stuff. Hmm. And it cuts to Kai talking about being locked basically in a cage without any light and being pretty much tortured as a kid. Hmm. Then the documentary cuts across to the cousin and the mother hmm. who sort of hand wave it away a little bit and the doco well, doesn't, it doesn't press them at all. No, I kind of agree and disagree, Paul, because okay. at that point... Because Christine and I both watched the doco. Okay. And Christine, ex-police officer, yep. current mother of three, mm-hmm. woman of great wisdom, I said to Christine, we paused the video after they'd interviewed the cousin and the mother. Okay. And I said to Christine, what do you think? And there were the words of great wisdom. And Christine said to me that he would have been an incredibly difficult child to handle. Christine was not saying that, you know, things were not portrayed by, as as per Kai said, yeah. uh, I don't believe that things were as bad as Kai said. I mm-hmm. do believe that the mother would have had the most terrible time one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. With an incredibly troubled child, I think what she was saying, this is how my take on sort of putting a black curtain over the window, Mm -hmm. was to stop him from getting up incredibly early to at least continue some semblance of the child being able to think that it was still night time. Okay. Now, you might see, or some might see, that as being rather sort of offhandish and simplistic. I have thought about this a lot. And, you know, you've, I, I think it's without sort of using a very sort of, sort of common sort of euphemism, I think it's the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Okay, yeah. I think it's fair to say 
I think Caleb. Oh, Caleb, what the fuck? That's his. That's his real name, by the way, listeners. But yeah, it does come out in the doco. So yeah. Don't feel, so yeah. So his real name is Caleb Lawrence McGilvery or mm-hmm. Gilvery. But I think, in fact, I think it's fair to say he is a liar, and he says some things that are troubling. But amongst all this, I mean, it's interesting that he did talk about being locked in his room. And the windows were blackened because the cl- the cousin clearly, uh, you know, backed that up by saying that occasionally he would, from the outside, he could see that Caleb's room was, in fact, you know, had a sort of a black cloth over the window. Yeah. Um, but the mother, I mean, it's difficult to judge people. I mean, the mother said she'd be more than happy to visit her son. And, you know, the son is obviously very traumatised by his past, but... For me, the jury's out, Paul. I, yeah. What do you think about his his upbringing? Mm, I don't know because the documentary doesn't give me enough to go on. It talks to two people who uh, have no, they have no distance from it, and it's very easy for them to tell their side of events. And because mm. they're not interviewing Kai, true, there's true. no, you know. But and I don't, the doco maker kind of takes a really odd, I th- I think, a sort of weirdly passive backseat in okay, terms cool. of what she chooses to address. But agree. The real core of this doco in terms of the reason it's a true crime documentary is because on May the 16th, 2013, um, McGilvery was arrested for murder. Mm. There was a attorney um, named Joseph Galfi. Uh, he was an old guy and basically he was found dead in his home, savagely murdered. I mean, mm-hmm. really, someone really went to town on the guy. Mm. And then the cops found footage from a local railway station of this... Um, of this attorney buying a ticket for somebody. And when they finally kind of got a better angle, they realized it was actually Kai. So Kai had been involved with this guy in some way. And underneath the laptop in the living room of the murder victim's house was a piece of paper with Kai's name on it um, and his well, number. That was actually, they also found yeah. in the room, the train ticket. Gotcha. Okay. So, okay. but listen, let's just go back to the attorney. Um, do you, what are your impressions or opinions? Do you have any sort of what 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 did you think about when you saw the the attorney and found out you know how they met and w- w- did you sort of come to any conclusions? Mm, nothing concrete because again the documentary allows people to make a lot of um, very big claims and then doesn't really dig into them very much. Mm-hmm. I, I, I got to say parenthetically at this point I did not think this was a very well made documentary but it did. Uh, draw my attention and your attention to a very interesting case and also a really interesting sort of moral quandary in that when is it okay to give people a platform and at what point do you bear the burden of responsibility? Because the fact is, if it's entirely possible that if these people didn't make him famous, uh, this attorney wouldn't have ended up dead. It's it. Who? I mean, who knows? I, right? I, I, I have to totally disagree with you, Paul. Really? Okay. 100%. I believe yeah. that the... The the lawyer mm-hmm. was one hundred percent gay, and he was on the prowl. Okay, in Times Square, New York, and I believe that Caleb. This was certainly not the first time he had he had engaged in because he was he was basically a free spirit. He was homeless. He had no mm-hmm. income. He had no no passport. No social security number. He had nothing. No he had he was completely off off the radar. 
which you know he he used that to his advantage but i believe that this elderly gentleman um basically picked caleb up okay. and caleb would have definitely known because it would not have been the first time this is my hypothesis based on the information that i've been able to glean and he went back to the the attorney's house now the attorney was in his mid to late 70s he had a stint which is sort of something in the heart that you know he had heart problems and i guess at this junction we might be able to then hypothesize okay was the attorney doing this out of the the kindness and generosity did he just go and pick up homeless guys and bring them back to his house i think that is unusual and odd in the extreme very very trusting to do that Mm -hmm. so we know that caleb had the ability to charm you can't deny that there was something about him and i guess it's that that x factor perhaps that Mm. that the media became sort of very very quickly in this sort of incredible sort of it became very very competitive all the networks all of the the people are involved in just sort of looking for the next great thing. They know that it, this this thing probably only has a very very short sort of shelf life, yeah. and that's why it became this frenzied, almost mad, almost desperate, unthought of screw the consequences, which was very apparent when he went on that Jimmy Kimmel show. It was it was cringeworthy and and quite frankly scary. I will and, say that Kimmel, I mean God. It's really hard to deal with an unstable interview. Oh, I mean, look, at the, he was supposed to come in and they have this mock car and this yeah. sort of just, and he's supposed to come in through the other door. It's a bit like, you know, when Jerry Seinfeld, you know, interviews famous people in the car and they hop in and they chat. But no, no, this this fucking psycho Kai, he, he jumps over the back of the car mm-hmm. and basically just, and he's on the roof. And it's it's just, he's out of control. Yeah, it's intense. And it's fucking scary. But the, 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 the thing about Caleb is that he had the ability to switch. And if you watch it, it's very interesting how he can switch. When he's in custody later on, he, he is so lucid. He is so smart. He is a really... I, I, I reckon his IQ would be between 140 and 160. I, think I just think... It. Yeah, I, I just think that anybody who saw him and ignored red flags is culpable to a degree. I, I agree. But you know what? My gut feeling mm-hmm. is that <clears throat> he went back to this gentleman's house. They, I mean, did you read, do you recall what he says to the police when he gets arrested about, he says he woke up, he walked to the mirror. Remember this? This is on the first night, by the way. This is one of the big chinks in the armour. He <laughs> says he wakes up, he goes to the mirror and he sees cum dripping from the side of his mouth. Okay, that's the first night he spent with the guy. What happens is they then go back at some point during that day and they end up on the railway station. He's going to go, Kai's going to you know, go wherever. He is, the, the elderly gentleman gets a ticket from the vending machine on the railway station. He gives it to Caleb, Kai. But what happens then is that um, Caleb goes back to his house, spends a second night. And during the record of interview, the police are saying, why, if 
you were so scared or, or you know you were so traumatized you know you you say that you know you've woken up with with his jism all over your face why do you then and then they hug each other on the railway station that does not say to the police officers during the record of interview this is someone one you are scared of you get the ticket you then decide to go you go back to his house and then you you allege that you wake up and there's this sort of half naked man on top of you this is a guy going on 80 years of age for god's sake yeah and he says that you know i became enraged and and he was attacking me but then of course the post-mortem results paul they don't lie and the injuries sustained to the elderly gentleman Mm -hmm. were so horrendous and something a fact that came out of this story that i found particularly interesting we we made mention of the the guy that was crushed between the car and the truck broke both his femurs the strongest bones in the body can you guess what the second strongest bone in the body is uh no go on the bones around the eye socket right isn't that interesting to protect and, isn't that amazing yeah. they were both shattered the injuries he had his one of his ears was virtually just hanging by a thread and so all these, and he, he'd been stomped on. It is a particularly uh, violent, he's, he's basically been killed uh, by Caleb, by Caleb using his own body, his fists, his feet. It's, um, it's indicative of the kind of violence. I mean, when you look at the hatchet murder and the kind of blasé nature of his reenactment of it, and then... They cut to some footage of him earlier on in his life where he says he basically beat a guy's teeth out of his mouth. That's right. And, and he, he holds, yeah. up, holds up his hand and shows the scars where the teeth were teeth yes. dug into his yeah. hand. This is a violent person. So what strikes me as very odd is the fact that the internet, there's still so much fundraising going for this Kai's legal fees because people are going, he's been taken advantage of, the cops have been hiding evidence. I mean, when Kai is talking... I mean, he's, he doesn't seem to be very connected online because at that point he claims to be, you know, basically homeless. So he doesn't seem to be a person with a very big social media presence, although the producers do later on find that he's got a Facebook profile. But he's espousing the sort of bullshit conspiracy theory nutjob stuff that, you know, the, the most dangerous, toxic people online now are, are espousing, you know, chemtrails and conspiracy theories and all this other crap. And so it just it paints a picture of a violent, unstable person with really dangerous belief systems so I, I don't understand why i'm sorry i don't understand why people are siding with the guy except for the fact that he was clearly sort of set up to fail right i mean they did elevate him to a status level and a fame level that was just it's not okay mm. for, for the, yeah look i believe um that fame aside yeah i believe he would have gone on to kill. Um, irrespective, that's I know I'm 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 not I have no doubt I don't it's not a ninety nine percent thing, I'm a hundred percent positive, uh, and I believe that if you could get this gentleman Caleb Lawrence McGilvery to be very very honest, I've seen two interviews, um, of him being interviewed in jail, mm-hmm. and. You know, after the offence, after the horrendous crime, we need to remember, listeners, that he changed his appearance dramatically. 
he had his hair cut radically. I'm of the opinion that part of his cool, you know, opt-out, sort of carefree image, the hair was a very, very important part of that, as was, you know, the bandana. To commit an atrocious, violent, um, unspeakable, gross, sort of fucking just beat the fuck out of an old man, okay? Mm. Um, and then to, to, to change your identity, to me, indicates, A, you're smart, B, guilt, C, let me get the fuck out of here, which he did. And he was... They, they just couldn't track him down. It was some really interesting work done by, by police forces on either side, east and west coast of America, where they this sort of... They had this thing about, oh, this guy's... Because you know, they had a photograph, you know, the footage at the railway station. Yeah. And it's clearly Caleb. Yeah. Then Caleb goes underground. And that's the thing about someone who's, who's transient, who's, who, who's truly off the grid. And how on earth do you track him down? And it's thank you very much to the media and his high profile that he was so recognisable. Yeah. That's how in a coffee shop, a few weeks later... A girl who was working in the coffee shop, she sees because what Caleb had also done, which I th- found, you know, slightly odd, is that he got a face tattoo. Yeah, on his, uh, I think on, his left hand side, it was up his neck and cheek. Yeah, right? and it's massive, and it's, yeah. it's not the sort of thing you can hide. And this, this, uh, you know, girl saw him, and 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 the police came, and they, they knew he was sort of transient, and they made their way to, funnily enough, the Greyhound bus station in this particular town, and sure enough, he was sitting there. The rest's history. Yep. He goes before the court. Yep. It's a a five-week trial, and the judge in summing up described him basically as a a very cold and calculating, violent, aggressive, fucking... They don't use the word psychopath. I'd love to, you know, be able to get into the... um, you know, the psychiatric reports. But I, I, I'd love to do um, a documentary or see a documentary where you go back to his hometown and I would like to see the teachers interviewed and just to get a sort of a more, you know, sort of sort of holistic sort of view or, you know, as to how and, you know, what happened to him in his life. Um but as the judge said, I mean, he's been sentenced to 57 years in jail. Yeah. Um, but the, but in relation to parole, etc., the judge also said that by the time you get out of jail, you will still be younger than your victim. And, um, you know, cold, sobering words. And I think if people do take that risk of inviting people back to their houses... No matter how, you know, no matter for what reason, you know, even coming from a place of goodness and kindness, I think you need to be really, really cautious about, um, you know, letting yourself. And, and, you know, if this crime had not happened, I believe in my heart that at some point in Caleb's future, something like this would probably have happened. because. Right. During the interviews, you can see him switch. He, and when he's being interviewed in jail, you know, the interviewer sort of 
says he asked him a question about you know who am i talking to is it caleb the the free spirit or is it caleb the murderer and it's just you just see this guy he just he switches yeah and it's fucking scary i i I, i'm watching this footage from back when he was sort of getting internet famous and and from from the second he appeared on camera i knew something was very wrong and i think possibly either the people who were trying to capitalize on him and you know get him famous and get themselves famous in the process either they saw those red flags and ignored them or uh they didn't see them which is a damning indictment of just the level of people that they were used to dealing with anyway because the fact is if you are a producer for the kardashians i guess your idea of what is normal what is talent and what is doable in terms of a television context is is slightly off anyway but this guy was clearly off his rocker i mean he was very unstable. Also, I think it was rotten from the word dot, and I was very confused watching the documentary because I guess I wasn't one of those people who were who were into the meme at the time. I didn't get it. They, they showed a bunch of auto-tuned videos and memes and stuff, and I am a meme lord. I love this stuff, but this is a guy who attacked somebody with a hatchet. Hmm. This is that, like, that's it. It's not, that is not a normal thing to do. It's not, I mean, he's, he's not exactly Batman. So... I guess the whole thing left me feeling a little bit confused and a little bit sad. Hmm. The guy's still in prison. Apparently, by all accounts, he's been interviewed online and he's pretty pissed that he's not making any money off this, which I guess, uh, you know, highlights his priorities. But hmm. it's, um, I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure listeners are going to have very different opinions. I'm sure there's quite a few listeners who think he's innocent and maybe even have been donating to his legal fund. I don't know, but this is just how I feel. It's fascinating, Paul. It's an interesting story and and thank you very much for bringing it to my attention. I I thought it's, you know, it's good, it's got legs and I think it's a great way to start uh, the new year. I agree. I I will say that Tegan and I have been discussing this and the single, in our opinion, the single best true crime thing ever to be committed to screen on Netflix is called Don't Fuck With Cats. I would urge you all to watch it. Dad, I want you and mum to watch Don't Fuck With Cats. Don't Mm -hmm. look up what it's about. Don't look up the premise. Just watch the first episode of this show. I think it's like a five-part miniseries. It's been out for years. It's it's really, it's it's utterly insane, and it's completely worth watching. And again, I didn't know what this documentary was about. What uh, what the hatchet documentary was about, but the title kind of explains it, and the trailer gives it away. The best thing you can do with Don't Fuck With Cats is just look it up, don't read about it, and just watch it and then report back to me and tell me what you think. Um, cool, cool. Yeah. Anyway, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this very strange case and what you thought of this documentary and where you think the responsibility lies in terms of people who cover these stories because obviously this is an area that we, you know, we sort of dabble in. So head across to our Facebook page and our discussion page and have a bit of a chat with us. I should say, it's very, very good to be back on the airwaves with all of you. We're going to be back twice a week, as per usual. Regularly scheduled programming has completely recommenced, so make sure you keep listening. Uh, Thank you so much for hanging out with us all throughout the holiday period. We're really happy to be back, and we will see you later this week for an episode of Loose Ends. Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 